Welcome, everybody, to the Security Guy and the CIA Spy Show podcast, where we are keeping you on top of what is new and ahead of what is next at all times on all things security, tech, and digital literacy, knowing that when good people like you want to make sure that their money, their family, and their business is safe and secure from attackers, hackers, and thieves, or you just want to make sure your tech is running smoothly, my name is Robert DeSoliano. I am the security guy, and along with my co-host, Peter Warmka, who is a real and retired United States CIA spy, we will give you every single tool, tip, tactic, and skill that you need to fight the bad guy and keep your physical and digital life secure, worry less, and even make you happier. This podcast will help you breathe easier with less stress and a greater sense of well-being. So let's get at it. And good day and welcome to the Security Guy and CIA Spy Pod Broadcast. I am Robert Ticiliano and this is Peter Warmka. Robert, how are you today? Hey, buddy. I'm, I'm doing good. It has been way too long uh, since I we've know. been live. We've been both busy on the road and it's just like we we need to get, yeah, that's why we wanted to do this. Even though it's a little bit earlier than normal, we definitely wanted to do this today. And you've been where? Oh, where? I mean, I've got to look at my calendar to see where I was. Well, I just came back from Turkey. I was in Turkey for almost two weeks, mostly pleasure, but you know, there's a little bit of business as well. And really, if, if you haven't been to Turkey, it's a fascinating place, especially if you're into history, right? Classical history. It's just amazing. I mean, here we talk about things being, you know, 100 or 200 years old as being old. <laughs> We're talking about things being 6,000 years uh, old, right? It's just amazing. Yeah, my dad's been, and he has, has said uh, equally, it is that good. Uh, that's awesome, man. So um, I am actually, uh, uh, the family and I are heading off to Mexico. Oh, and, wow. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you but, hear a lot. How was the preparation for all of that? So I do my research on, you know, uh, travel.gov and um, obviously, you know, there's, there's been some kidnappings, there's yes. been some murders uh, and uh, like any, you know, high risk travel destination, uh, of course, there's pros and cons and certain parts of the country are more or less, you know, vulnerable. And so where we're going uh, from the research that I've done is there's not a whole lot of risk, at least compared to the other parts of the country. So going with the family, of course, you know, I have my concerns and I would not be going to parts of the country where I was concerned. Yeah, I mean, you know, as we know, I mean, you you, you can make the decisions and, and try to stay in the safer places. Uh, as we see here, even in the United States, where is the safe place? Uh, over the weekend, there was a shooting in front of the Regal Theater, right, you know, within a few miles of my house. Fortunately, nobody was fatally injured, but it was like three teens that had to go to the hospital. Yeah. So, so it, risk is everywhere, you know, yeah, and part of what we do is, you know, to, to help you to manage that risk, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, one other thing, um, in preparation for this trip, you know, we renewed our passports, right? We renewed our passports back in December and they're not, they don't expire until actually uh, April, which is, you know, four to five months ahead of time. And what we learned was that when Biden opened up, you know, the travel to everybody and basically said COVID's over. Um, everybody and their mother looked at their passport and said, ooh, my passport's expired. Right. And a glut of people went ahead and renewed their passports. Me, being a responsible adult, just figuring I'd renew my passport four to five months ahead of time, I ended up getting in the middle of all that. And where it was supposed to be six to nine weeks of my passport being renewed, it ended up being 12 to 14, 
which would have meant I would have missed my trip if I didn't. Wow. Yes. So the urgent passport thing, you can actually get an urgent passport. Here's the problem. Uh, appointments for urgent passports are very sparse. When I was looking, there were appointments available in Seattle, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. And you had, like, to, physically, you had to physically go there? Yes. So uh, I would call every day uh, at 8 a.m. up till 10 p.m. And basically you call every 15 minutes. And if in, if in fact you get through to a human being, they transfer you to another person. And then from there, uh, you end up waiting on hold for up to three hours. And once you get in touch with somebody, if there's any, ever actually anybody uh, on the phone, they, if you don't get disconnected, uh, usually there's no appointments available. And you just keep making those calls until somebody cancels an appointment. And I ended up finding a, an appointment in uh, Vermont, which is almost five hours up from where I live. So my wife and I rented a hotel room, went five hours up, and we actually, and they call that hitting the urgent passport lottery because most people don't actually get there. And it's probably a lot more expensive too, right? It ended up costing like an extra 120 plus a few other fees, plus driving, plus hotel. It's a whole thing. Um, I would suggest to anybody, if you don't have any travel plans anytime soon, that you try to get your passport renewed six months ahead of time. If for Mexico, it used to be you could go with your your birth certificate, and that would be enough. It used to yeah, be. that's not the case now. You can't go anywhere with, that with, with, with just a birth certificate these days. Right. Keeping in mind that there are also 14,000 variations of the birth certificate, which are easily forgeable, which is one of the reasons why. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Peter, we got lots of stuff to talk about today. Okay. Uh, it is uh, just as messy out there today as it's ever been. First and foremost, uh, we're going to hit everybody up regarding the LastPass breach. LastPass breach, um, well, essentially here, uh, Gizmodo talks about top LastPass engineers' home PC got owned or pawned by a hacker's keylogger. The embattled password manager has revealed yet more security troubles that resulted from a data breach last summer. So for months, the company had been periodically providing updates about a nasty data breach that occurred last August at the time. LastPass revealed that a cyber criminal had managed to worm their way into the company's development environment and steal some source code, but claimed there was no evidence that any user data had been compromised as a result. Then in December, the company made an update revealing that, well, actually, yeah, certain user information had been compromised, but couldn't share what exactly had been impacted. Several weeks later, it did reveal that uh, what had been impacted uses vault data, which under the right circumstances could lead to account compromise. Now, my understanding my understanding regarding that vault data is that it was still encrypted. So passwords of the user would still need to be compromised is my understanding. So my understanding is that to this date, no actual user data in its raw form has been compromised. But it's still kind of scary when you see this has at least been at least the second time, maybe more we, we're not aware of, but the second time that one of these major password managers has been, you know, hacked into. So I think a lot of people are beginning to say, well, maybe I need to shift over to another, another uh, provider. I don't know. Yeah. I so there is one password. There is um, Bitwarden. Uh, there is RoboForm. There's a few others out there. Yeah. I'm going to have to seriously look at an alternative because I use LastPass. So if you do a quick search for password manager, 
right? You'll see a sponsored ad for Dashlane. You see more ads for uh, cybernews.com. And then you scroll down and you see, let me see, CNET has the best password managers for 2023 and PC Magazine has the best password managers for 2023. I usually refer people to that article right there. Right. And it goes over Dashlane, Keeper, Zoho, Bitwarden, One Password, and so on. And you can check the price, features and benefits, and so forth. That's a really good research tool to find out what your options are. But uh, Robert and I highly recommend that you use a password uh, manager. They're very, very, very important. There's really no other way to manage all the various passwords that you need in order to um, not have the same password across multiple accounts other than using the password manager. And some of them offer a free version uh, and some offer, you know, a premium version as well that you would pay for. But it's I usually download or recommend that people download the free version, play with it, see if you like it, and then buy it because yeah. you're not going to get the functionality out of the free version that you uh, really need. And it's not a lot of money. It's, it's really, you know, pennies on the dollar. I spend 20 bucks a year for a license uh, and that gets me access to a password manager on 18 different devices that I possess including those for the family. And that's one master password. It often includes a biometric or a second factor. And if anything happens to me, my entire family has access to my password, yeah. which I'm perfectly okay with. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Reuters talks about U.S. House panel to vote next month on possible TikTok ban. So I've been asked to comment on this a number of different times in the media as to what this is all about and how it impacts everyday users and how it impacts, of course, you know, our critical infrastructures. So right here, uh, McCall, who is the um, uh, Republican uh, uh, pan of foreign House of Foreign Affairs Committee, said that uh, the concern is that the app gives Chinese government backdoor access to our phones. Correct okay. me if I'm wrong, but the government has already banned uh, US government employees from using any devices that have been issued to them by the government, correct? So I believe it has taken place on the Fed level. I'm not exactly sure, but I believe it has. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's up to the states in individual municipalities to um, require that ban locally and regionally, right? This is going to be this is going to be very, very hard, I think, to ban it across the table for all, you know, all, all citizens, Americans. Um, I, I, I mean, well, I mean, you have a lot better understanding of the VPNs than I do, but it seems to me that you could potentially, if, if, if it becomes banned in the United States, is it possible to use a VPN to gain access to it? So the short answer is yes. Uh, depending on the VPN, depending on how, or, or, or how that VPN works, the way a VPN essentially works is you can, or it should work, is you can choose the actual IP address of where you want to say your device is currently in the world. Mm -hmm. So if it's banned in the US, then you would set your VPN, say to uh, South America, Brazil, you know, or right. to China for that matter. And right. then if, if uh, TikTok was banned in the US and you set your VPN for Brazil and it's not banned in Brazil, then you'd be able to access TikTok. Yeah, So. Right. So to understand basically how this works, Peter, and, and I know you know this, is that like if you look at companies like Huawei, 
right? Huawei provides like the, the grid for 5G and other mobile hardware and software, right? Huawei is like H-A-W-E-I-I, Huawei. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. And that's essentially a technology that's, I think, banned in the U.S. as well, right? Yes. And this is a Chinese-owned technology. And the reason for the ban regarding this particular technology and its hardware and software is that it's believed that the Chinese have a backdoor access into the hardware, which would mean that they'd have a backdoor access into all the devices that are on that network or on that using that hardware or using that software. Okay. Mm -hmm. And TikTok is a Chinese company. It's a privately owned company, but it's believed that Chinese have backdoor access into that software, into their servers, which would give the Chinese backdoor access into the hardware, mobile phones, software of U.S. government employees or really any citizen. Wouldn't surprise me at all. And it's hard, really hard to detect if there is, in fact, backdoor access to be a hardware. Like it has not conclusively been proven that either Huawei or TikTok, which is owned by a company called ByteDance, does actually provide Chinese government officials backdoor access. To my understanding, it hasn't been proven. However, what they're thinking is, you know, better be safe than sorry. Do we really need this? And is it worth the risk? Right. So this is something they're going to try to push through um, next month. Um, I think it's going to be difficult, very difficult for it to pass. Yeah. Now, for average citizens, and I've been asked this a number of different times, like, what do moms and dads, you know, what do we do? Or, you know, how do we manage risk here? You know, what are our options? And I say, essentially, there, from my point of view, I don't really think there is much risk here for most consumers in regards to your security, uh, maybe privacy issues. Could that software get access to usernames and passcodes? I guess it's possible, but that hasn't been proven. And I think that if, if it was possible, I think that that would have been proven so far. Mm -hmm. uh, because having access, full remote access to a device's operating system, that would be a pretty obvious vulnerability. And so. I would imagine that forensics experts would have already determined that. I mean, every... Every white hat hacker, you know, and their brother would want to expose that. And if they haven't exposed it, it's because I don't think it exists. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. All yeah. right. Next in line. This is interesting, Peter. So interesting and awful. Nearly all, NPR talks about nearly all U.S. mass attackers were male and faced major life, life stressor reports, fines. So yeah. I, mm -hmm. This is in regards to mass shootings, Peter, right? I've heard, I mean, I've heard this before that is predominantly males that are, I mean, that are, that are the ones that are involved in these versus females. And it's, it's kind of interesting to analyze why might that be the case? One thing that kind of popped into my mind when I saw this article this morning is a, a lot of the individuals, males have had guns. I mean, for a period of time, even if they're younger, maybe they started shooting, maybe their parents took them out and they started to, to take, you know, practice using the handgun uh, as a sport when maybe a lot of a lot of the females or young ladies 
maybe don't do that compared to, you know, a young man. So is that we all have stressors and maybe we all kind of like want to reach out and explode and do something. But maybe part of the issue is that these males have that gun readily available versus some of the females that maybe would, would, I don't know, uh, do the same action. They don't necessarily have that weapon. Um, I don't know. I, I would imagine that that's part of it. I think that what it boils down to from, you know, 30 years of studying the human condition and uh, recognizing risk and understanding that, you, I mean, you know, we, we know that human beings by our nature are predators, right? Humans are predators. Humans kill, right? So that, that chicken you eat, that's, you know, a killed chicken and killed by a human. Humans, humans kill. And the only thing that separates human beings from other predators is empathy and sympathy, right? Uh, guilt and remorse. Whereas when you think of a, a lion or a wolf, they don't possess empathy, sympathy, guilt, or remorse. Mm -hmm. And so they kill indiscriminately. Whereas, you know, humans, we have a choice or we, we understand choice and we understand that choice based on, you know, need and want and also empathy and sympathy. Uh, human beings don't kill many, most of us because we see that as being wrong um, or at least killing other humans. Whereas when you have disaffected, you know, 18 to 22 year olds uh, that um, haven't fully evolved to understand and embrace empathy and sympathy, uh, they might've come out of their mama bad to begin with, with uh, a lack of, uh, those characteristics, and they might be considered, you know, antisocial personalities, uh, sociopath, psychopath, hardcore narcissist, and so on. And I think that that contributes to their, I guess, acting out, uh, believing that uh, a mass shooting will solve their problems. You know, it's kind of interesting, though, uh, a lot of these cases, they're already going out knowing that they're going to commit suicide. So why wouldn't it just commit suicide and not take down all the, everybody else in the process? Yeah, I don't know what's the reasoning behind that. I think it's from experience, seeing what others have done and going out in a blaze of glory. And they look at that as being attractive, right? Yeah. So U.S. Secret Service released a, a first of its kind of report, analyzes 173 mass shootings that took place between 16 and, and 2020. Basically, um, 73% uh, involved uh, the use of one or more firearm. Nearly a quarter of the attacks involving firearms, at least one of the firearms was acquired illegally by the attacker. Demographics, 96% were male, 57% uh, were white, 34% were black. 64% uh, had a prior criminal history, not including minor traffic violation. 41% of the attackers were found to have a history of domestic violence. Online presence, the majority of the attackers had identified presence online, nearly one quarter are found to, to have conveyed concerning communications such as threats and posts about suicide. Stressors, nearly all of the attackers experienced at least one significant stressor within the past five years. Listen, I've had a significant stressor in the past five years. You know, well, like you said, like everybody, <laughs> right, true. like everybody has stressors, you know, family illness, family death, mm -hmm. um, a neighbor who sucks, you know, everybody has something. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you know, uh, bust out an AR and, and, and take down 20 people in the process. I think it, it, it boils down to, you know, a person's 
emotional development and whether or not, you know, they have the perspective necessary to get through those stressors in such a way where they're not going to act out and look at, at, at killing other people as, as part of solving their problem. Yeah, we really lack a lot of communication. I mean, a lot of these people, I mean, some of them are not communicating to maybe some people are not aware what they're going through. Uh, people will tend to just communicate by looking at their telephone and not communicating with people around them. Others do communicate or at least leave some signals and people are, you know, are not picking up on them or they don't realize the importance of what, you know, they may have to do if they become suspicious of somebody. Um, you just can't ignore, you just can't turn your head and ignore the problem. Never again, right? Mm -hmm. Concerning right. behaviors and mental health symptoms among the attackers, the report says 180 attackers that examined the report, 58% experienced mental health symptoms prior to or at the time of their attack, uh, some of which included depression, suicidal thoughts, psychotic symptoms such as paranoia and delusions. It's that, you know, suicidal thoughts, psychotic symptoms, and paranoia of the 58%. That's obviously the most alarming and concerning. I've seen studies that show as many as... 50% of all people suffer some form of mental health issues, right? All I believe people. it. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so, it, you know, that statistic is not unusual to me. Um, but I think it's, you know, that hardcore psychotic symptoms such as paranoia that leads to uh, significant fear and uncertainty and thinking that people are out to get you. And when you are kind of backed in the corner in that regard, uh, feeling fear and uncertainty in that way, like people are out to get you, then acting out violently makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. although obviously being wrong, uh, mental illness is not a barometer for dangerousness and it is not a correlation for mass attacks, it says. The vast majority of individuals with mental illnesses in this country will never be violent, which is like pretty much what I just said. Right. In fact, often they are victims of violence themselves. So I guess it's for all of us who see somebody acting out aggressively, acting out in a paranoid way. And then on top of it all, um, you know, somebody who has access to firearms or mentions that they're going to use firearms to do something. That's really where people need to drop a dime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. Peter, check this out. Dark Reading talks about how $6 can buy hacked social media and streaming accounts from the dark web. And this so, is incredible. This is really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, the report unearthed a flourishing marketplace on the dark web for hacked entertainment services. You could buy LinkedIn access for 45 bucks, Facebook for 14, Instagram for 12, Discord for 12, Snapchat for 12, TikTok for six bucks. You can find the full research at whizcase.com. Most of these are obtained from social engineering efficient campaigns after hackers have compromised users' email addresses used at registration. I found that I was kind of curious when I saw um, that LinkedIn was like on top of the list, like $45. Is that like someone actually taking over someone else's account, impersonating them and using that account for various things? That's logging in and getting full access yeah. you know, because their credentials, their username, which is an email address and their passcode has either been fished or it's been exposed in another data breach. So then with that account, you know, they have a, they, a lot of people that they can fish from from that new account that people are already trusting that individual because they believe that individual is, you know, 
actually in contact with them when it's actually the fraudster that's taken over the account and now is beginning to fish, spearfish the, uh, a lot of people, I suppose. Yeah, so with LinkedIn, uh, I think the reason why it's 45 bucks, why it's a high value target, right, or high value access is that being that it is a um, business related platform, connecting as a uh, known individual, right? You know, like either you or me or somebody else who has hundreds to thousands of contacts, that might give access to company systems. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And you talk a lot about this, Peter, impersonating somebody on LinkedIn, either set, like usually setting up a brand new account impersonating somebody, but like what, what damage could be done if they are actually logged into somebody's LinkedIn account? Oh, much more, and this is quicker. I mean, it takes a while to actually set up an account and um, you know uh, mature that account. It, it takes time. So forty-five dollars is a is a real bargain. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're like once you're in, um, like literally the damage that could be done, right? Like you can pose as somebody, get access to find out who's an account receivable, who's an account's payable, who's in manufacturing, like gather the necessary intelligence on your target company uh, based on you know you you now the bad guy is is compromise a known profile, somebody who's known, liked, and trusted, asking basic one-on-one -on -one questions about, you know, who do I contact to send an invoice to? Who do I contact for this and that? And you've got somebody on the ground who you're connected to that's going to give you all that legit information and even maybe introduce you to them. Yeah. And there's 800 million LinkedIn accounts out there. So there's a, <laughs> there's a big pool potential. Peter, tell everybody uh, what you are up to these days, what you have going on. Well, right now, I mean, I came back from Turkey and I'm up in the Washington area delivering a training program and I'll be going back home in short order, doing a lot of writing. I'll be coming out with a couple of books later this year. I got conferences coming up uh, that I'm going to be speaking at, keynote speeches. Anyway, I see you highlighting my book. Yeah, book's doing very, very well. And anybody interested in uh, the Arts of Human Hacking or Social Engineering. This book is a very easy read and, and provides a lot of insight. And it's available on Amazon and, and soft copy in, um, I mean, sorry, in paperback and Kindle version as well as audio. Awesome. But you, uh, right? And, and uh, you can check out my team at protectnowllc.com. Uh, for those of you who want to check to see if your email has been compromised, you can go to our email checker. Click on that, type your email address in here. We, you can search 12 billion compromised records to find out if your email is part of any particular data breach. And then from there, go to each of those accounts to tighten things up and change up your passcodes. Awesome. I'm going to check that out, Robert. Excellent. Yeah. So, Peter, last words. Well, I know you're having a trip coming up, safe travels, and it'll be, be interesting to hear your observations after you return. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Everybody be nice to each other out there. Yeah. Until next time.